Let's um, turn in our Bibles to Romans in chapter 14. Can you believe we're in Romans 14? Let me look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth, eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eats. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. First, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on this, these verses here. Um, I, just, I read through some over the, over the past week, but I don't know of too many uh, famous sermons from Romans 1 through 4, but that's what we're dealing with today. Let's, let's back up and pick up some of our review on where we're at here. And um, obviously we know from going through that chapters 1 through 11 of Romans is Paul's doctrine. It's what he's teaching the gospel. He's teaching the implications of the gospel. He teaches us the gospel. And then starting in chapter 12, he gets more into the practical applications of the gospel where he says, you know, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by what I taught you in Romans 1 and 11, 1 through 11, now you ought to act this way. We saw that, and we saw how he, he dealt with how we should be within the church, how we should use our gifts and our talents that God has given us, that God has blessed us with to, to further serve one another. We saw how we should act when persecution comes against us. We saw that in Romans chapter 13, that God has called us to submit to the governing forces that He has ordained there be. And then we saw closing up Romans chapter 13 that we're to love one another. And love is fulfillment of the law. And now to get a little intro into this chapter here. So we, we're starting a new chapter here in Romans chapter 14. And I, I've mentioned this many times throughout our study that we know there weren't chapter breaks and verses in the original. So Paul wasn't like, now Tertius... Remember, Tertius is the one that's actually writing the letter, but it's through dictation of Paul. Paul's saying it, Tertius is writing it down. So Paul isn't like, now Tertius, make sure this is chapter 14. He didn't do that. He's just talking, and Tertius is recording what he is saying. I say that to say that this chapter isn't a parenthesis or anything, but it's building on and coming from what he previously said. So it's not commandments coming from thin air, but from the same doctrine which he stated earlier. So since we do believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ought to obey here. We ought to obey chapter 14 when he's telling us this because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we could somewhat divide this chapter, this chapter up to about chapter, verse 7 of chapter 15 
under the title of receive one another. And then we can further divide this chapter into two main headings. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at is that the first heading could be do not judge one another. We can see that from verses 1 through 12. And then from verses 13 through 23, it's do not cause one another to stumble. So let's start digging into the portion of receiving one another and not judging one another. Three points for today would be free from judgment, free to eat or not, and free to serve. So the first point here, free from judgment. Verse 1, it says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. As I've already mentioned, is to receive one another. Notice Paul starts with the weakest member too. He that is weak in the faith, receive. And notice it's in the faith. So it's talking about legit believers. It's talking about your brother or sister in Christ. Those that are for whatever reason are considered weak in the faith. But they are in the faith. They're just weak in the faith. Maybe they are weak because they're a new believer. And we should expect that, right? A new believer would be weak in the faith. But maybe they're weak because they don't sit under the ordinance of God like they're supposed to. Maybe they don't read or study their Bible. Maybe they're, when they sit in a church service, they're distracted or daydreaming or sleeping. Maybe they don't make it to church services because there's always something comes up. There's always something. Family's in town. I can't make it this week. This is going on. I can't make it that week. Maybe they ne neglected their prayer life. Now, I know those that typically neglect all these other areas, you know, they'll say, but I've been in prayer. So those people that don't think much of Bible study, Bible reading, the ordinances of the church or prayer warriors, I seriously doubt that. So notice it doesn't say why they are weak, but just that they are weak and they are in the faith. And it tells us to receive them. This means to take to oneself or to admit to friendship. It's a compound word in the Greek. It's, it's uh, proslambano. Pros means to be face to face with or to be with. And lambano means to take or to lay hold of or to gain or obtain. So it's to lay hold of this brother or sister and be with them, to be face to face with them, to receive them into fellowship. And we'll see later when we get there. This means we might have to forsake some things that we're free to do in Christ when we're around them. But before we get there in a few weeks, this means what would be seen here too. It says to receive them, and then it says, but not to doubtful disputations. That's what the KJV says. ESV says not to quarrel over opinions. And the NASV says not to, for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So you see this, it's kind of difficult to translate it into English, right? It's only two words in the Greek. One word means distinguishing, discerning, or judging. And the other one means the thinking of a man deliberating with himself or questioning about what is true. So it's not to judge him on his questioning. Now the questioning has a context too. 
And Paul gives us that context in the following verses. But before we move on, we could take this as a general rule for us believers. This could be a general rule for us believers here. To receive a brother or sister in the faith and not to argue and judge them for their non-essential views. Let me explain further. The fact that they are in the faith means they are believers. And by being believers, that means they believe the essential things of the Christian faith. They believe the deity of Christ. They believe that God is triune, that their sins have separated them from God, and only through the person and work of Christ can one be saved. They believe in the fact that they are justified by faith alone and not by any works that we could do. They believe in the fact that this justification is a one-time act wherein God places us in Christ and He keeps us there and He preserves us forever. These are things Paul's taught us through the doctrinal portion of this letter. Did he not through Romans 1 through 11? So he's saying that this person believes this. They are your brother and si or sister, but they are questioning about things that wouldn't make them outside of the faith. We could think of some things today like this, right? Like, you have a brother or sister in the faith, they may think speaking in tongues. They may think, forgive me, but they may think baptizing babies. They may think in different millennial views, different eschatology than what we have, right? We don't reject our brother or sister who's still questioning some of these things. We receive them. That's what it says. We don't judge them because they haven't arrived where we're at. That's what this is saying. And remember, they are weaker. That's what it says. They are weak in the faith. So what's our responsibility with those who are weak? It's to comfort them. It's to build them up. It's to see them strengthened. And we don't do that by simply judging them. We do that by receiving them, by accepting them, and then by discipling them. Not just arguing about their apparent view, but realizing that we don't all come into the faith mature and we need to grow. And let's remember the context of, of when Paul was writing this. He was writing in this transitional period when people were still practicing Old Covenant Judaism and God was taking people out of it and bringing them into the New Covenant Church, which is the purpose for the following verses, which goes to my next point. Free to eat or not. Look at verses 2 and 3. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. Let, him, let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats, eats not judge him that eats, for God hath received him. The one believing he may eat all things, according to this, is the strong and mature Christian. The one who is weak eats herbs. Two things I, I think we can see from this right up front. And I have them labeled like subpoints A and B. A, you're free to eat all things. And B, it's not the strong and mature Christian who abstains, but the weak. So let me develop these even more. A, you are free to eat all things. This, as I said, is in the context of the transitional period. Remember Paul's writing probably 55 A.D.? There's still this transitional period. The, the temple was still standing. There, there was still, when, when we see, when you read through Acts, you'll see people come and they'll preach to them and they'll, 
They'll say they were worshipers of God, but they didn't even know that Jesus about Jesus yet. So how can they be worshipers of God and they didn't know about Jesus yet? Because they were, worship, they were still under that old covenant. They were still looking to, to God and looking forward to the coming Messiah. They didn't know that Jesus of Nazareth that already came. And what do they do? They preach Christ to them. And then what do they do? They go into the Christian church. This is the time that he's writing this. There's a transition period from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. The New Covenant had been established, but people were still practicing the Old Covenant laws until about 70 A.D. So in practicing the Old Covenant laws, they for sure were still obeying the dietary laws. I'm sure you guys are familiar with some of these laws, right? The most prominent ones to, are to, to abstain from pork or shellfish. Now there's many more, but they would be practicing these laws still. So that, let's just think for a second. Just say you're 40 years old and your whole life you had not only sought to obey these dietary laws, but your whole culture did too. Everybody around you never ate a piece of pork. You, you, pork was not even thought of to be eaten by you or any of your friends or loved ones. That's all you've ever known. Then you come into the Christian church and your Roman Gentile brother in Christ is sitting there eating bacon-wrapped shrimp. What kind of offense that would cause you? Even if you knew it wasn't a sin. Now these here, I, I believe, they're, they're still thinking it is a sin because remember they were trying to reason out these things in themselves. But this is the time they're, they're in. They lived their whole life without touching anything that was considered unclean. And now they go into a Roman church filled with people that eat everything that they never had even touched before. That's the picture we have here. That's the timing we have here. But let me demonstrate the freedom we have to eat all these things. Turn uh, back to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10 and verse 9. Now this is talking about Peter right here, but uh, Acts 10.9 On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And, when he, and he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while, they, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manners of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, un that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. One of the things I think is kind of funny about this is, you know, Peter had a, had a way of saying, not so, Lord. Those words should not come out of our mouth, right? 
Not so, Lord. Remember Jesus went to wash His feet? Not so, Lord. But God tells Peter, those beasts and creeping things are cleansed by God. Now God did this not only about the food, He uses this as an object lesson for Peter too. Because it was used to show Peter that the Gentiles are now clean as well. Not just the Jews. The Gentiles are now clean as well. And he goes on and he preaches to the Gentiles here in Cornelius' house. And I know some argue that that was the only reason for this vision. That vision some would say that vision was given to Peter only for the express purpose of saying the Gentiles are now clean. However, we have other scripture that says the same thing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy four and verse one. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressively, expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe, and I know the truth, and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You see this? Every creature of God is good. And it's talking about food. This means that you are free to eat pork or shellfish if you so desire. But the second thing I wanted to see from this is it was the weak Christian that abstains. It wasn't the strong Christian that abstains. And I know this is, at, this is typically presented to us in the opposite today. The person who abstains acts like they're the strong Christian and you're the weak, sinful Christian for partaking. However, the opposite is true. Now, we don't so much in our culture have those that grew up under the old covenant dietary laws and now that they are Christians struggle with that issue. I haven't ran into any of those people yet that, 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 that are scared to eat meat because of the old covenant. They, they grew up in this old covenant time. But let me give you a modern day issue. As Christians, we're free to drink alcohol. We're actually commanded to drink alcohol in the Lord's Supper. So alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. I know you're like, what's this crazy pastor saying? Now all the people in this congregation will go out and get drunk. Well, don't take that the wrong way. Drunkenness is sin. Drinking alcohol is not sinful. However, if I'm sitting, say I'm sitting at the Crafty Rooster this afternoon and drinking a beer and watching football, someone might come in and see that and immediately consider me in sin. And then the gossip would start, right? I saw that pastor, he was getting drunk at the bar watching football. But let's use the same example from Romans. It's the weaker one that abstains. Not the stronger one. Yet they would argue that I was sinful and at best a weak Christian. 
Yet they are weak, the weak one because not only doesn't the Bible condemn drinking alcohol, alcohol was actually was typically an indication of the blessing of the Lord. When the Lord blessed the people in the Old Covenant, we know what He blessed them with? With corn, with oil, with wine. And it wasn't grape juice. It was wine. The people got drunk on it. Noah didn't get drunk on grape juice. The people in Corinth at, at the church that were drinking the communion wine, were getting, they weren't getting drunk on grape juice there either. They were getting drunk on real wine. And if it's from the Lord, I can receive it with thanksgiving, right? The person offended is offended because their conscience says not to drink alcohol or not to eat this meat. Not because the Word of God says it. So this is the same thing here with the food. The person offended is not offended because God's Word in the New Covenant says to abstain because it says the opposite. They're offended because their weak conscience says it's bad. And whether we like it or not, we ought to respect that person's conscience. If somebody come in here and say, you know, we got donuts up here today. Somebody come in and says, you know, I, I feel like I ought to be in sin for eating these donuts. God bless you, brother. I respect your decision to do that. It's not sinful for me to eat that. Now, it might be sinful if I eat like a dozen of them, but... We need to respect that person's weak conscience. And if their conscience says doesn't eat pork then we ought not to try to force them to eat pork. We can work on discipling them with the Word of God and hope their conscience then matches the Word. That's what we're supposed to do. See, I don't know many Christians who when they first came into the faith weren't sensitive to everything. Like everything was sinful. To me, almost everything was sinful. However, the real sins that I was doing, I was actually missing them. I was thinking all this other stuff sin, and it wasn't really sin, but the things that I was doing, were doing, I don't know, were sin. I believe drinking alcohol was sinful. And guess what? It would have been a sin for me to drink it then. If I think that it's sinful, it would have been a sin for me to drink it. Not because it violates the Word of God, because it was not done in faith. So is this person here with food. What we must do as Christians is train our conscience to be in line with God's Word. We are to obey our conscience if it doesn't contradict the Word of God, but we should seek to train our conscience by the Word of God. Let me put it like this. Eating a certain food is not sinful, and abstaining from that food is also not sinful. However, if you cannot do it in faith, it is sinful. Therefore, we ought to train our minds through the Word of God to know what is sin and what is not. Notice also, Paul doesn't tell them to try to convince them that it's not sin. He doesn't say, argue with your brother or sister right here that that's not really sin, so you can go ahead and do it. He doesn't do that. That's not our job, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job. It says not to judge or despise him. The person is weak in the faith. Come along 
inside them and try to build them up because they are God's servant. And that goes right to my last point here. Free to serve. I'm going back to Romans here. In verse 4. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be hold he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. You see, Paul puts them in their place. You are to receive your brother or sister, even if they are weak in the faith, even if their conscience tells them not to eat pork or shellfish. That's the command of God to receive them and to not judge them. And to be put in our place is to realize that that brother or sister is the servant of God, not our servant. Is it sinful for them to abstain from meat? It's not. Therefore, we don't judge them for it. The flip side of that is true as well, right? From verse 3, it's not sinful for me to partake in that meat, so you shouldn't judge me for partaking in the meat. I'm God's servant, not yours. That's, that's the context of what Paul is saying here. You see, this, this grace that is supposed to be extended from the church to one another, that's what, that's what this is dealing with, this grace that we should extend to one another. You receive them. You be gracious to them. Even if you don't agree with this, this side issue that doesn't affect that person's salvation, be patient. Just like Paul just taught us in the previous chapter, right? To love one another. For love fulfills the law. This is loving one another. It's being gracious towards a brother that we don't agree with. It's realizing that they are really my brother or sister, even though we disagree on certain topics. As long as it's not a gospel issue, we can receive one another, be for one another, and serve God together. Now this word here for servant is not the typical one we know of. You, you know the, the word doulos, which means slave. That's not the word that's used right here. It's oikates, which means a fellow resident. So it's not, it's not talking about a slave. Not, not, you know, that's what it typically says. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. It's saying you're a fellow resident. This means one who lives in the same house as another spoken of, all who are under the authority of one and the same householder. So, one who lives in the same house as another. So the picture is that we are all part of God's family and dwelling together in His house. Therefore, do not judge your brother or sister. We apply this in our own homes, don't we? When your older child starts to correct and chide your younger child as though they are the disciplinarian in the house, what do we do? We say, stop. Are you their mother? Are you their father? It's pretty much the same picture. Is God not capable to make them stand? That's, what, that's, that's Paul's point. God is able to grow up His people and He's actually quite good at it. It's not your job to make sure everybody is like you. You see, that's part of the picture too. To be able to stand is the opposite of being weak in the faith. When someone is weak in the faith, you know what they're called? 
What it says is we're going to look at it here. They're called a babe in Christ. Baby. They're a baby. And as a baby, they can't stand. They can't do much of anything, right? Except for eat, sleep, and poop. Yet that's the picture that God gives us as an immature, weak Christian, right? That you're a baby in Christ. Actually, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 11. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he's going in, he's waxing eloquent here on, on Melchizedek and, and Christ's priesthood, and then he comes to verse 11. And he says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, the babe or baby here is unskillful with the word they are weak. They need the milk of God's word. That's what it says. They desire milk instead of meat. They actually can't handle meat. Just like a baby, just like Micah couldn't handle a steak. You cook Micah a steak today, he ain't going to eat it. So we are to grow out of that stage in our Christian life, right? We aren't to remain babes in Christ our whole Christian life. And God is able to grow us. Now you may ask how He does it. Well, He does it through the ordinary means of grace, if you will. Through Bible reading and study. Through being part of a local body of believers. Through the sitting under the preaching of God's Word. Through prayer. Through communion. God gave us this stuff to grow us into mature Christians. So don't neglect them. And encourage your weaker brother to partake with you. Now to summarize these, these, these four verses of you know, they have too long, didn't read. This is too long, didn't listen. I'll give you a 30-second message on here. You, strong Christian, whose conscience is free from adding laws that God didn't add, receive your brother or sister in the faith when they are weak. Not to argue or debate with them about whatever topic it is, but rather to serve alongside them within the family of God. God is quite capable of growing that brother. And even if you didn't exist... God would still be able to do it without you. If you're strong enough to eat meat, eat it and be free. If you're not strong enough to eat meat, then don't eat it. And all the while, don't judge one another for whatever their conscience is bound to as long as it's not contrary to the Word of God. Let's move into our application here. Our call to faith and repentance this morning, as always to the unbeliever, you say, we don't know if there's any unbelievers in here. I don't know either. 
But one of the verses I had not touched on in this message that does apply, applies to both the believer and the unbeliever, is Titus 1.15. It says, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. In other words, everything that you do as an unbeliever is sinful. You may sit and pray over your meal, but that means nothing. It actually is going to increase your judgment because you're acknowledging a God that you don't actually believe in. You see, the substance of what a Christian is is not based on what we do, but based on what has been done for us. We don't nor can't work our way to heaven. We can spend our whole life in prayer, in Bible reading, in the church, and still go to hell because it's not about what we do that gets us to heaven. It's about what was done for us. This is the most crucial fact in all of existence, right? The most crucial thing to your life right now and mine is the fact that we are all born sinners and because of that we will stand guilty before God, before the judge of all the earth. Every single one of us. And nothing you can do can save you. This is why Jesus came. He came and took on flesh. He became a man and in His life He did not sin once. Everything that Jesus did was righteous. Quite the opposite of us, right? Then He went to that Roman cross as a righteous man. As a perfect man, never committing a crime. And there He died as though He was the worst sinner that ever lived. The Father, it says, crushed His Son, Isaiah 53. It pleased Him to crush Him. Not because he's some divine child abuser, but because justice needed meted out for the sins of his people, and that's how he did it. He placed them upon his son and crushed his son in place of his people. And justice is meted out there. And he was taken down and buried. We know, three days later, rose from that grave was seen of over 500 people and it ascended up to the Father's right hand where He sat down, victorious over sin and death and hell. And He makes intercession there for His people. It's the most important message in the world. There's nothing more important than that. And your call this morning as an unbeliever is to believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins and look to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I pray that today God crushes your stony heart and gives you faith and repentance. That He adopts you into His family through the blood of His Son. Now to us believers here, this, that same message of the Gospel is present for us believers here today as well. You say, I can't receive my brother or sister because they believe this or that. Look to the Gospel. Jesus died for you. Who has done worse things against God than anybody has done to you. But He stepped in and took your place. It's through the Beloved that we are accepted as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. God received you even when you were an ungodly sinner. He received you because He took away your sins. He counted you as righteous and just and holy in His sight. 
You have been received by God, so therefore we ought to receive our brother or sister even when we disagree. Do you think God agrees with every thought and action that you do? You see the gospel, how the gospel should frame our thinking and our living? When I look at the laundry list of things that I've done against the Lord and to know that He still received me in His Son, it should make me more gracious and patient with those around me that I don't agree with, especially if they're in the same family of believers. And what it should also do is make us repent of those times when we judged our brother or sister because their thinking wasn't in line with ours. As a community of people from all different walks of life, we all weren't brought up in the same way. Some of us grew up in Christian homes, right? Some of us never met a Christian until our adult life. Some of us, the worst thing that we can remember doing is possibly telling a little lie or stealing some maybe gum, a pack of gum at the grocery store. While others of us are like, I broke every single command. And if there had been more commands, I would have broke those too. And because of these different upbringings, we may each have our own struggle that you may not struggle with. I may have a struggle that you have no clue about. And vice versa. These early Christians were struggling with what food to eat. I've never struggled with that. Have you? Probably not. Some do though, and we ought to receive them and be gracious with them. Not judge them as unbelievers, but come alongside them and work together as the servants of the same household. So let's continue on in the gospel, continually having it set before our eyes when we look at others, and let's remember what was done for us 2,000 years ago. Then act accordingly. And the last point here, the call to war. One of the wars I saw in this section, which I didn't bring out in the doctrinal portion, is this war between legalism and licentiousness, or antinomianism, if you will. On one hand, Paul closes the previous chapter with the condemnation of licentiousness. Then he deals with almost the opposite of that as he's opening up this chapter. Now, I don't think this is true legalism because they wouldn't be in the faith if, it was, if they thought it was, I had to keep these dietary laws or I don't go to heaven. Or you must keep these dietary laws to go to heaven. But just this idea that on one hand, I can do anything I want that is sinful, that I can live as though God has not given me a law to obey, then on the other hand, to have people that add laws to themselves, or even worse, to others. That's what the Pharisees did, wasn't it? Jesus condemned them for it. He says, you, you forsake the, the Scriptures for your, the traditions of men because they added all their own laws. And then if you didn't keep those laws, they deemed you as an unbeliever. This is a war we often have to fight within ourselves. To not fall into either side of that ditch. To realize that God has commanded very clearly within our New Testament many things that we ought to do or not do. And that's law. 
We don't do them in order to be saved, but since we are saved. Then also realizing that if God hasn't commanded something or against something, then we are free to do it. We don't need to add more laws than what God has already given. So if you're free to do something, do it to the glory of God. But if God has commanded against it, do not do it to the glory of God. You're like, how do I know what God has commanded or not? Well, read your New Testament. It's full of it. Read the Pauline epistle. He almost always begins with rich doctrine about Christ and expounding on the gospel. He almost every one of his letters deals with that. It starts with the gospel and Christ and it deals with this and it builds up this foundation. And then he gives us practical application how we should live in response to that doctrine. So let us prepare ourselves for war by digging into God's word, by reading it and studying it, then obeying it. And let us do so in community with our brothers and sisters, receiving them just as Christ received us, so we can work together as God's servants for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.